Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the human listeners, Ben. Greetings to all listeners, Sammy. Oh, you got me this time. I'm so happy. Um, in case you were wondering, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists who cater to all listeners. Um, and we've got some really funky cars to talk to you about this week. Some really high-end stuff this week, huh, Ben? Some definitely some high-end. I think the kind of stuff that you almost never see on the road. Is, is that accurate, Sammy? Because of how high-end they are, right? Well, I think that that's part of it. Why don't you uh, start with what you were driving? Because I think it's definitely the most... If we were on a ladder of what's high-end and what's not high-end, this is like near the top rung. Okay. So uh, maybe I'll agree with you once we once we get going here on the podcast. Once we get rolling, we, got, we need some momentum, Ben. Um, and the momentum is this. I went to a city called Courmayeur in Italy, which is... Totally a real city. An hour and a half away from Geneva. It's also in the a Alps. real city. <laughs> it's in the Alps. And let me tell you about this city. This city is Maserati. They, when you drive in, it says, welcome to Cormayeur. And there's like, like, welcome Maserati or brought to you by Maserati. On, Wait, like, how is this city brought to you by Maserati? <laughs> I have no idea. In the middle of this city, in this, it's a little ski village. In the middle of the city is like a, is a Maserati lounge that anyone can go in and check out and hang out in. And, um, and there's a Levante. That's their SUV um, just parked inside and outside so people can check it out and, and see what, what new Maseratis are around. So uh, this city sold their naming rights to Maserati. <laughs> no, I'm still stuck on this. You know, like when people used to, like, they would tattoo a golden palace on their forehead kind of thing? Or, like, name their <laughs> no, baby? No, I don't know what the heck Where they would is. name their baby, like, after some online casino or some dot com? Is it like that? Like, did, did Maserati, or did they approach Maserati and were like, hey, do you need a town that you own? Basically, it's one stop on Maserati's winter tour, they call it. And it's a, it's a, they basically say that Cormier is a really good ambassador for the Maserati brand. They really share similar attributes. And I don't really know what those two attributes are, but they're there. <laughs> but there's, there's two? There's only I mean, two? what those attributes are, what they share in common, but remember, it's there. Remember that movie Roadhouse and how, like, in Roadhouse, there was, like, that guy who owned everything in town? Or, like, he, he had, like, the guys, he would take protection money from them. And he drove a monster truck through a guy's, I think it was a dealership or something because the guy didn't pay the money. Is no, like, literally, no. I've it, never, okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. What I'm saying is, is Maserati that guy in the monster truck with this yeah, town? I guess so. Wow. Um, everyone really, I mean, I guess everywhere you go, people respect Maseratis. And we got to drive, actually, <laughs> all all three of their, um, their four-door vehicles. Uh, that's the Ghibli, which is their small one, their sports sedan, I suppose, the best way to describe it. We drove the Levante, which is their SUV. And we drove the Quattroporte, which is the one that's been most recently updated for 2018, uh, or most significantly updated for 2018. You know, and what did you do with them? You just drove them through this town, like at low speeds, because no, we, we went out. We went out to uh, Maserati's ice proving grounds, where we got to test the Levante's all-wheel drive system, which was a lot of fun. And um, we also got to test them on the on the on the highways and some of the curvy routes up to that um, that ice proving ground. And uh, these are really interesting cars. First of all, my, my experience with Maserati is very limited. I've driven both of these cars in the past just once and for a limited period of time. And I remember back when I drove, especially the Quattroporte, I was not enthusiastic about it. It felt like an ancient car. Um, what felt it, ancient about it? It felt like it was missing many of the modern touches that make a luxury car, especially one that costs as much as what a Quattroporte costs. Uh, a Quattroporte actually starts at... $127,000 in the U.S. So that's S-Class money. That's a lot of money, man. Um, and it, it, when, it, when, I, when I drove it about two years ago, it was missing some of the really fancy um, driver aids. It was missing some of the refinement that comes with these vehicles, especially in terms of transmission. Um, and it just didn't feel special enough. And what's interesting is... In this class of car, if you want something that stands out, if makes you feel like you're driving something sporty, you would find it in a in a in a, in a Panamera, no problem. Uh, I think we, me and you both agree with that. The Panamera is one of the most interesting, um, fun to drive, big vehicles out there. I haven't uh, driven a Panamera in a couple of years, so I haven't driven the um, most recent one. The it's, recent iteration of it. Yeah, it's definitely a very fast car. I will give it that. And it seems to be able to do everything you want it to. So where does what does the quattro, what does the Quattroporte um, deliver that the Panamera just doesn't? 
I think it's exclusivity. Um, and that's a weird thing to say. It's, it's, a, it's tough to, to pitch that, especially against a Porsche. But you and I have to agree on this, that I think Porsches are becoming a little bit more commonplace, especially these two cars, the, the Cayenne and the, um, the Panamera. Well, and that's the whole the reason they exist, right? The whole reason a four-door Porsche exists is to sell in large volumes. And a company like Maserati never sells in volume ever. So no. these are two totally different business plans. And this car also has one thing that I don't think the, the Panamera has, even in its best form. It sounds unbelievable. Ben, I cannot tell you. I, I No... No car, can I recall, has made the noise such a selling feature like these Maseratis. It's kind of, you know, the Alfa Romeo uh, Giulia Q, that, that 500 horsepower version of it. What's it called? The Quattro Quadrofolio. Quadrofolio. Um, that sounds great. This sounds a tiny bit better, and I cannot get enough what? of it. Is, it. is it not a Ferrari-derived V8? There's you can in the Quattroporta you can get a Ferrari derived V uh, a Ferrari designed V6 and V8. Uh, they're both um, designed and manufactured by Ferrari. So the V6 is a, a three liter twin turbo V6. It makes uh, 424 horsepower. It's pretty quick. It does zero to 62 in about um, 4.8 seconds. And the V8 is not much faster. It does it 4.7, and it makes 523 horsepower. So whoa, about whoa, 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 wait a minute. So sorry, 523. Sorry. So the horsepower that the V8 has 100 more horsepower, and it's only a tenth of a second quicker to 60. Yeah, these are big cars, man. Um, the, and that, there's still the, something on, weird there. Like, uh, let me let me keep going. Here. <laughs> the the six cylinder comes with all wheel drive. The V8 is only available with rear wheel drive, so that can be a a, a, a change. The top speed is very different between the two of them. I have them in kilometers per hour, so you're going to have to bear with me here. The top speed of the the V6 model is 288 kilometers an hour, and the top speed of the V8 is 310 kilometers an hour. I didn't get to test either of those top speeds, so please don't ask. What's their top speed in a snowy village owned by Maserati? (laughs) Probably about 10 kilometers an hour. Um, they're wild cars, man. They sound great. And there's one more other thing that makes them stand out, and it's the interior. Not that the interior is full of really fancy touches, but there's one thing that stands out, and it's called the... It's got a very fancy name, so just let me, um... Just let me stumble my way through it and then get yelled at by one of our Italian and fashionable, um... um, They're called listeners, Sammy. Listeners. (laughs) Um... Oh, wait, I, I haven't found it here. Oh, my give me, goodness. Give me a minute. Uh, so I'm going to speculate on what it, it might be while you're trying to find it. Is it a human it, skull? Is it? <laughs> I believe it's called Xenia. Um, or, yeah, it's a, it's a very fashionable... Let me see. It's a human skull wrapped in Alcantara. Well, and it, it sits where the infotainment system would normally sit in, a, in no. an automobile. But you just use, it's like, it has like a mesmerism, and you can connect your mind to the empty space behind the skull it's and change el- the radio er- station. It's error, er- I can't, I will never be able to say this. So don't er- say it, just tell us what er- it is. Ermenegilio Zenia, okay? No, it's not okay. And it's this fully silk um, accent of the interior, which is really funky, very special. I haven't seen anything like it before in the well, car so before. It, you're saying it has – where is the silk? It's in the the seat backs and as well as the door panels. So as soon as you open your door in a rainstorm, you, it's finished, right? Like it's just it's, totally done. If it's, I believe that's not the case. I mean, silk is the worst. I love silk, but I can't wear it because, I mean, it, I just ruin it. Like, I think even just sweating slightly destroys a silk shirt. Um, so now it's in a car. Um, what is there a papier-mâché accent somewhere in the car too, or, no, or maybe why? like a, a just, honeycomb or like? <laughs> no. Um, okay. And let me also, you know what? Let me just, I'll, I'll continue past this. Additionally. The um, a fine weave of human hair coats every seat. It is wild. I remember really the condition. It is a very unique interior um, uh, setup. They also have really nice open pour wood on the dash, um, and and it just feels like something special. I wouldn't say it particularly feels better than what you would get from a, a Mercedes or a BMW or a Porsche. And there's one small thing that feeds into that. It's the switch gear. This is such a small, petty complaint, but 
If you've been in any FCA product, you will recognize any of that switchgear anywhere, anywhere. The, 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 the turn signal stock, the, the windshield wiper um, stock, the, the window switches, they're exactly the same as what you can get in a, in, a, in a very high class Jeep, which, okay, you know what? The weird thing to me is like how many Maserati owners will be looking at a Jeep or a Dodge product ever? I don't think any, but it is a small thing that, that bugs me. However, Maserati has learned from Alfa Romeo. If you're going to take some stuff from the FCA parts bin, at least take the infotainment system, that Uconnect system, and this car has that, and um, it's still quite fast and responsive, and it even has a rotary controller if you don't want to use the touchscreen. So if you take that silk door panel and rub it against the open pour wood, does it does the car purr? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And you can do that. No, you can't. You can't do that, Ben. You can't take the silk door panel, uh, that the silk appointed door panel off and start rubbing. You stuff certainly with. have a lot of rules when it comes to Maseratis. <laughs> Um, so here's the, the gist is that they sound great. They drive pretty well. Um, they drive very big, Ben. I can't, I don't know how to say this. I mean, it feels like a large car. They are big cars. They're huge. They're wide. They're long. And it, it just feels that way, especially in these in these small European cities. Um, there's no there's no, it, there's nothing it does that makes it feel small. And the suspension suspension is really well done. It's uh, you'll love this. It's called Skyhook. Okay. Which sounds like a which sounds like a bad guy's weapon to destroy the world. I think Skyhook was actually a program that the U.S. Air Force had, um, where they would send balloons up into the upper atmosphere and collect organisms and samples, and then uh, they would check for signs of life. I also thought it was the name of a basketball shot. I don't know. You tell me. And a tennis smash. A tennis smash. And I also think Ducati's suspension system is called Skyhook. There's a uh, there's a helicopter called Skyhook too. Oh yeah, you've, now you've got we've got a whole bunch. So why does Maserati suspension system named after literally everything else in the world? Maybe I'm wrong about that Skyhook <laughs> program. Did I just imagine that that existed, or was that? Was... Maybe it was in a really good sci-fi Peter Pan movie called Skyhook. I don't know Peter Pan. What? <laughs> yeah, even Hook, but in space. Yeah. Um, I love, I like this car. Does it cost, is it worth $127,000? It depends how much you want to feel like the most interesting guy on your, on your block. I don't think so, but that sound that it makes is unbelievable. Unbelievable, Ben. I cannot, I cannot overemphasize that. It or what about, wicked. do you get that sound from the Levante as well? Yes. Well, the Levante, the problem with the Levante is that you only get the Levante, I believe, with the six cylinder engine. What? Um, yeah. Okay, well, whose terrible decision was that? You don't get it with the V8, but it still sounds good. Sorry, I don't mean, I hope, I, I put, I made it sound like it was a bad thing. Don't worry, the Levante's not listening. <laughs> okay. Um, it too makes, uh, it starts at, you can get a, a lower tuned version of, or, or a less powerful tuned version of the Levante called the, called the Levante, and you can get a more powerful <laughs> one called the Levante S. Um, or the Levante's. <laughs> Uh, the Levante S makes the same amount of horsepower as the um, the Quattroporte S. It's 424 horsepower. It does that zero to 60 sprint in about uh, 10 seconds. in 5.2 seconds or five seconds. Um, and it's it's a big car, man. It's it's a perfect competitor to the Cayenne. Me and you both know the Cayenne are, are very strong. I mean, we it's a great car. And the cars in these segments are getting are getting better every day. The Levante doesn't have a lot going for it. It's unique. It's special. It's it's very different. It sounds great. It looks better than probably any other SUV uh, out there. It reminds me a lot of the Infiniti QX70, which used to be called the FX. Uh, 45 and 37. But, you know, you're comparing this car to the the Cayenne, and there are, like, what, 11 different versions of the Cayenne? Yes. And there's there's two versions of the Levante, you know? Yeah. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, and this car, that lowered, that regular Levante costs $92,000, and that... Wow. Yeah. And the other one costs $102,000. These are expensive rides, man. They are, and they don't have the best reputation for reliability. I didn't have any issues with it on my drive, but if they do use similar systems to um, FCA, 
Uconnect has, as much as I love it, um, they've recently introduced an over-the-air update that caused some people to have um, inoperable vehicles, which is a bit of a, which is a big concern. Well, I don't even mean like I'm not talking about the Chrysler parts. I'm talking about all of the parts. I mean, there there was a Ghibli in in the Montreal fleet last year that had to be removed from the fleet because it was continually breaking down. Interesting. Yeah. I just want to point out pricing for a Cayenne Turbo, which has well over 500 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it has well over 500 horsepower. Is 118,000. Yeah, that's a that's. I think a Maserati buyer. That's fifteen thousand dollars more than the Levante S. You get a hundred more horsepower. Um, you get something that has a little bit more. Um, I think confidence. The buyer can have a little bit more confidence in their car, knowing that um, it's made. It's made. I don't know. I think people have a lot more confidence in, in Porsche products. Am I wrong in saying and, that? And there's also a Turbo S if you want to go even beyond that, and that's 160000 So that's a lot more. So it's 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 not even like the the, the Levante is the most expensive, most exclusive vehicle no, in its class. No, it's, it's not. So, I mean, I was – that's interesting. Um, I I liked my experience with the car. I wouldn't call it a, a ver- the most – the best car in its class, it's a very much made to be an alternative to the established players out there. If you're tired of seeing the same car out there, this would be um, the right pick. Um, and it's a very that's a very niche market to go after. But as you said, Maserati sells a very limited number of cars a year. Um, and, and this is the way you got to do it. This is the way it does it. Um, again, this car has... The, the, I think the selling feature is that noise, the Ferrari, the, the Ferrari connection under the hood, um, the design, and that interior. Uh, you can also get it with that Xenia interior, which is which is every time anyone gets in there, they'll say, they'll say, "Wow, that's that's gorgeous," um, and I think that's the case with this car. Now, um, the the cars that I drove this past week, not quite as exclusive. One of them not quite as exclusive. The other one, fairly exclusive. But not necessarily for the same reason. So I started off by driving the Cadillac Escalade. Ooh. And yeah. So not and not any Escalade either. It was the the King Escalade, the Platinum, which is you know the most expensive model. It's basically right right it hovers around a hundred thousand dollars, and uh, it's you know the Escalade's kind of in a weird place. It does decent volume. I mean, they sell under forty thousand units a year. But the profit margins are really high on the truck because it's not expensive to build, and they have it's a well understood architecture that's used for other SUVs in the in the GM lineup like the Chevrolet Tahoe and the GMC Yukon specifically the Yukon Denali which is almost identical to the Escalade and that's problematic in itself I'll talk about that a little bit later, mm-hmm. but um, something that's interesting about the Escalade is it's it's kind of the last of a dying breed there are really only four body-on-frame SUVs left in the high-end luxury segment. I mean, you have Escalade, you have the QX80 from Infiniti, you have the Lexus LX570, and you have... What am I forgetting? Because there's one more. Um, in any case... The, the, the QX something? No, I, I said the QX80. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, so, the Navigator, this... Yeah, so it is the Navigator. The Navigator would be the other one. Um, I also so, think... Maybe I'm out of my. Maybe I'm I'm going nuts here, but I think the Mercedes. It's called the GLS now. No, that's that's not a body on frame truck. Oh, okay. That's a, that's uh, a Lexus. Truck. What about the Lexus? Uh, I, I said big that. One. Did you listen to anything I said just now? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking up numbers. You, on the you've Cadillac already listed because... half of the vehicles I've already listed. <laughs> I was looking up numbers. Moving on, because Sammy clearly has. Um, it's it's. Uh, I don't consider the G-Class from Mercedes to be in that segment. I think the G-Class is its own thing that's kind of just off on its own, and it's going to sell to a certain type of buyer. I don't think anyone's cross-shopping a G-Class and an Escalade. Okay. So. Gotcha. It's well. Do you think people are doing that, Sammy? No, I think okay. if you want, if you want, I, I don't know if anyone even cross-shops these kinds of vehicles. I, I need to say that like definitively. I do not think people with a hundred thousand dollars to burn in their pocket go. Um, should I get a G-Class or an Escalade or a Lincoln Navigator? They just pick whatever they think is, is sexy and they'll go with it. I don't I don't see why that would be true. Why, why do you think that's true? These cars are, are all very good. They offer very much the same experience, which is um, an, an exclusive luxury, um, 
an exclusive luxury experience. They isolate you from the world. They have a ton of power. They make people want to get out of your way. And if, whether you get that in a Cadillac, a Lincoln, um, uh, or a Lexus, I don't think it – I think people just feel the same. I don't know. I, I have to disagree with you. I think branding has a lot to do with it. I don't think anyone wants to buy the Navigator based on the fact that it's a Lincoln. I think that's – I think it's completely – I think that's the only Lincoln worth worth buying. Regardless of that fact, though, it has no cachet. It's no one, no one says, I drive a Lincoln Navigator. I mean, everyone knows what an Escalade is. I think Cadillac clearly won that battle 10 years ago okay. uh, in terms of sales. And when, when, you, when you start looking at interiors, I mean, the QX80 has an amazing interior, far mm-hmm. better than any of the other vehicles uh, in that uh, full, full body on frame thing. And also there's, there's things like towing and hauling to consider. I mean, a Q7 is essentially the biggest Audi SUV you could get. Mm-hmm. But it's really small inside when you compare it to something like the Escalade. Okay. A GLS class, on the other hand isn't small inside it actually matches the escalator within one cubic foot of each other for cargo space and they're within 800 pounds of towing capacity so i I think it's a more nuanced thing i think branding plays a role i think what you're going to do with the vehicle plays a role i mean capability you think somebody won't well i wonder if somebody won't yeah there are people who want to tow 8500 pounds and they don't want to have a pickup if you if you own horses and people who own horses tend to have money uh, they're, they might want to tow if they if they're not towing a big horse trailer. I mean, at that point, <coughs> you, need, you need a fifth wheel. But if you're if you're towing one horse, maybe you want to do it in Escalade. You're not going to do it in the Q7 probably. So that's, it's it's that's a sort it, of lux- that's a sort of lifestyle I I can't I I'm I'm working on on learning more about. Well, that's, um, that's the why they only sell thirty. On... That's why they only sell thirty seven thousand a year. It's still quite a lot of cars. The Lexus you were thinking of was the LX570. And you can come I wasn't thinking of it, Sammy. I said it. I said Lexus LX570. Oh, I thought you couldn't <laughs> figure out one. You're, you're still back there? You were so tuned out. Yes. Um, also, did you mention the uh, Lincoln Navigator? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Wow. All right. All right. I can just skip ahead no, no. to this to the other Cadillac if we want to. No, wanna, no, no. Tell me you want to crack you, wise. No. Uh, let's let's get on with this. I it's want, okay I love for me to make fun that. of you, but when you make fun of me, it destabilizes our vibe. I just oh. want to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I need to know a little bit more about this Escalade because I love that it uses a 6.2 liter V8. Uh, 420 horsepower and 460 pound feet of torque. Is that good? How does it feel? It feels it feels pretty quick. Uh, it also has the awesome magna ride suspension which makes the vehicle feel smaller when you're driving quickly uh it's it's an adaptive suspension system that is licensed by ferrari for their vehicles that's how good it is you'll find you it notice on, they don't use skyhook that's true they don't use skyhook um it's it's every um it's every performance vehicle from gm has it too except for the dssb equipped uh, zl1 car but um in any case it's it's really great around town though. This is a big bulky vehicle uh, at slower speeds. It feels like an aircraft carrier. You notice that it's so huge. And if you like that, that's great. If you don't like that, you're probably going to look at something like the GLS class from Mercedes or the Q7, something that's unibody and a little little bit more nimble. Uh, other things about this car, the Platinum has every feature. It's very nice inside. The interior is great. I'd say the QX80 has the edge when it comes to details, mm-hmm. but the Escalade is still quite nice. Um, it has all the safety gear you would want. At the back of the vehicle, the load floor is pretty high. You pop that hatch, you're looking at it, and Cadillac and mm. GM in general, they decided to put um, automatic... It used to be that the seats in the Cadillac Escalade didn't fold flat. Like, they fell, folded flat, but not into the floor. Okay. Now they fold into the floor, and they do it automatically with a button, but mm. they had to make the floor taller because of that. And as a result, eh, it's it's a little bit of a reach. Okay. So that's something you won't find in, in other SUVs in its class. Um, I like it. If it was my money, I'd buy the Yukon Denali, which is almost identical to the Cadillac yeah, in a lo- single way. I'm looking at this Yukon. You can get the 6.2. You can get the 10-speed. You can get the magnetic ride control. Oh, yeah, the 10-speed is new for 2018. I should mention that. And it's it's so good that I didn't even notice the 8-speed was gone <laughs> until I looked at the spec sheet. And I'm like, oh, 10-speed. So that says a lot about that transmission. You get the head-up display. I mean, why would I get – the reason I'm getting the Cadillac is because it says Cadillac on the front, right? Yeah, that, and that is not a small reason. So if – that's what I was talking about with branding. I mean, if the – it's like the Navigator. I haven't driven the Navigator. I don't know how different it is from the Expedition. But there was a time when they really weren't that different, <laughs> and buying the Lincoln badge wasn't worth it. So um, I think that with Cadillac and the uh, – 
the Escalade versus the Yukon Denali, if you're buying on price and you don't care about branding, but you want a super comfortable, very capable, giant SUV, get the Denali, no question. But if you want to have that kind of curb appeal where it's brash and it's bold and has a huge Cadillac badge on the grill, then the Escalade makes sense for you. Uh, the number one difference I can see is that hmm, you can get 22s on the Cadillac. No, you can get them on the Denali as well. Yeah, you're gonna, you'll notice stuff like... Uh, <laughs> like, what is the big difference? You'll notice stuff like leather, um, different types of leather. I think it's okay. semi-aniline throughout the, the first two rows of the Escalade. I don't think you can get that the Denali, and that you can also get an Alcantara headliner. I'm not sure you can get that the Denali either. That's and that's, but to be clear, you're buying the platinum version of the Escalade to get that kind of stuff. Like you're spending fairly serious. Hundred uh, ninety-three thousand or something like that, which is yeah. nuts. Yeah. Um. Okay. Are you still gonna want to like do a music video in one? You can do a music video in a Cadillac. I don't think you do it in a Denali. You know, I was hoping we could get through one podcast where you didn't bring up some type of music video cliche thing from the 90s what but, uh, yo man um i guess it's just remixed to ignition forever for you isn't it it, it really is and I, <laughs> that whole song was about either a gmc or, or uh an escalade wasn't it I, I thought that whole song was about the after party and then the hotel lobby <laughs> I, I am i am i confused no he says uh we're rolling out in our jeep All well right. then i guess it's a jeep Okay, this is this is the thing. I totally, I think I would rather have a Cadillac, um, mainly because the badge, the look, that rear, that the way the taillights and the headlights have that really nice um, vertical design. It's a it's a really sweet car. Is it twenty thousand dollars better? That hurts. I don't know how to even. It's not twenty thousand dollars better, yeah. but it might be twenty thousand dollars more exclusive, and that's a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Would you recommend it to anybody? Well, I would recommend it to anyone who might Wants have been listening to what I was saying earlier and could benefit from the points that I mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I would. I don't know if you were one of those people or not. But, no, I was. Um, yeah, it's it's not it's not there's nothing bad about it. I mean, it uses a ton of gas <laughs> in every situation. Uh, that's going to be true of any vehicle of its size. But uh, it's it's a unique experience. It's not. It's not dated or anything. It's it's it feels very modern. It's even though it's riding on a truck chassis, uh, stuff like the Magna Ride and that that 6.2 liter engine are really sweet. Okay. So, but I I, I want to talk about the the next vehicle. Wait wait. Can I just can I before you go to the next vehicle? Can I have a really quick conversation with you about new new GM stuff? Okay. As long as it's quick. Okay. So these tr- these trucks, these SUVs are built on the last generation pickup truck uh, platform as far as I understand. In and, a sense, yes. And the new ones are coming out and they're built from the ground up all new. Um, we saw the Silverado in, in Detroit. A new GMC has debuted as well. And it's got a bunch of really neat t- features as well as different materials uh, both of these cars have. What are you hoping for? in the next generation of SUVs that you didn't see in these, um, in this one? Uh, probably weight loss. Other than okay. that, I can't really think of anything. Okay. All right. I think I agree with you on that. Um, do you think, no, a diesel just wouldn't be right because those trucks can be had with a, those pickups will, will apparently come with a diesel. It's and a I different customer. I can imagine that SUVs might not have that. No, there's no way. I don't think I, I it's not a task focused maybe in a Tahoe, but I don't think you'd see mm-hmm. it in an Escalade. Especially I think now, that's really the, important to... I mean, the Germans have really backed away from diesel, so there's no point. I mean, who, what customer are you serving there? That's right. Well, GM is really going... He's doubling down on diesels now that the Germans are not around. But I, I think Chevrolet might be doubling down on diesels at okay. GMC, but I don't think... I don't think GM as a whole is really buying in. I While I was not really enthusiastic about the uh, Silverado, especially in terms of design, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what GM... Uh, the company does with that new platform, which has been is a clean sheet design, and what they'll do with the rest of their truck line, their SUV lineup, and and I and I, and I have high hopes. I think that they are going to make these trucks even better, even though we thought SUVs were dead. What do you mean we thought SUVs were dead? I think a lot of people were were thinking that SUVs were getting um, overtaken by crossovers um, in terms of popularity, especially when it comes to fuel economy and fuel usage, and then that. 
that didn't quite happen in near in the last few years. Well, has, has I, I think it? I think SUV and crossover are very nebulous terms. I, I think there's a lot of overlap in there. Okay, I, body I on really, frame. Body on frame. The, well, like I said, there are almost no body on frame vehicles left, so people were right. There, <laughs> no, there are, there are. GM has one body on frame SUV platform. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Toyota has three. Mm-hmm. Ford has one. And uh, who else has one? Infinity has Infinity and, and Nissan have one. one. Yeah. That's it. I, I get. I guess the is the um, new G class. Is that still body on frame? The I new new one. I think so. Okay, so there's like what five companies? Mm-hmm. That's. <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean, there was a time when every yes. I, I, I guess Jeep. Does Jeep have any? No, Jeep doesn't. The have new a Wrangler one. is not considered body. The Wrangler that, right? hasn't been. The Wrangler has been unibody for thirty years. Oh, my mistake. Maybe more. Okay. Uh, so I, it, I don't consider body on frame versus unibody to be the distinction between what's an SUV and a crossover because a Jeep Wrangler is very clearly an SUV. So and it's a unibody. Um, okay. So anyway, I, it's it's. That platform has died out, but I think it's died out not because of customer choice. I think it's died out because of things like weight and uh, fuel economy. And that's why you still see it at the very high end of the market where people buying an Escalade, maybe they don't care so much about how much gas it uses. Maybe Lexus LX owners don't really care so much, Toyota Land Cruiser buyers, that kind of thing. But if you're buying like a, an Escape, a Ford Escape, you really care. Mm-hmm. So that that's I think that's what's weeded it out. All right. Uh, okay. So... That conversation was nice and short. And let's talk about this other one. This other Cadillac you drove. So uh, I'm going to say that, in my opinion, the Escalade is the... I, I don't know if you would agree with me, Sammy, but the Escalade is the flagship of Cadillac. Yeah, I, I think, think I think that was the case. I'm, I'm concerned about what's going on in the future. But yeah, I think that was... That I, was. I think when people think Cadillac, they think Escalade. I think that's the second word that comes to mind. I think of, you're right, especially because of the name, too, right? Like, the Escalade has a name still. And the rest of the, the the Cadillac lineup don't have names. It it feels like an anonymous when you say CT6 and XT5 and ATS. Well, it's funny. It's funny you should mention CT6 because that is the other Cadillac that I recently drove, and that is the Cadillac that the company would like you to think is their flagship vehicle because it is the biggest, most expensive sedan that they make. Uh, it's the most exclusive. It has the most exclusive equipment. It has the highest tech of any vehicle they make. But I really think that the Escalade has eclipsed the CT6, and I think that part of that is because, of, like you said, the huge brand recognition in the Escalade name, but also the fact that, you know, very few people buy the full-size luxury sedans these days, and since Absolutely. there's no there's no accumulated brand equity with CT6 like you would have with S-Class or 7 Series, it's even less likely that people are going to know about it, and that's too bad, because the, the CT6 is a thoroughly excellent vehicle in a lot of ways. Uh, it's really, really impressive. Which model did you have? Because they're they they range quite a bit. I believe there's a plug-in version. I believe there's a version with a, a, a turbocharged V6. There's a there's, well, that's the top end version. There's a there's a two liter turbocharged four mm-hmm. in the CT6 as well. Um, but you know, remember how I was saying they sold thirty seven thousand Escalades? And yeah. I didn't I didn't think that was a huge number, but it's profitable. They sold ten thousand CT6s last year. Is that a full year of sales? On the, that's a on the... full year of sales. Ouch. Okay. Um, but you're right. Nobody's buying. I don't know. Not very many people are buying. Clearly, people are, aren't buying sedans, especially big sedans like this. And we've seen this with other markets, not just the luxury luxury sales market. I think that nobody's really into Impalas and like Avalons as well. Like big sedans seem like a. a yeah, it, they are. They they are a dying breed, and that's what makes it. That's what makes it so sad that this is such an excellent car, and that so few people mm-hmm. are are going to experience it. I do want to point out though, that you know. As sad as 10,542 CT6 sales sounds, that's more, it's a thousand more than BMW sold 7 Series the same year. That's impressive, actually, then. Um, so someone's hearing about it. Someone is. Tell, but, me, tell me about what they should be hearing about the CT6. But, I, like, you know, 10 years ago, they, they probably would have been able to double that number. And, okay. and right now, it's, it's, so the CT6 that I drove, the Platinum version, it has the twin turbo. Uh, V6, mm-hmm. which is an excellent motor. It is very, very quick. It's rated at 404 horsepower. I do not believe that for a second. I think it's probably closer to 470, maybe. <laughs> okay. It's It feels way quicker. Mm-hmm. It has an 8-speed automatic transmission. All-wheel drive is standard. 
It does 0 to 60 in 4.7 seconds. It is enormous inside. It is very, very, very big. It is enormous on the outside. It has a long wheelbase. It looks slick. Uh, it has night vision, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. It has... It has it's supposed the, to have every. I mean, as a flagship sedan, it's supposed to have everything that the automaker offers, right? It's supposed it to be. It does. It should drive itself in some cases. It does drive itself. It has oh. something called Super Cruise, which <laughs> is in which is an autonomous semi. I'm not. No, it's not autonomous. I'm not going to say that. What it is is a cruise control system where once you set it, you can take your hands completely off the steering wheel, which is unlike any what? other version. Yeah. So you take your hands so it's off level the steering three. wheel. If kind you want of. use those levels, I don't know. I don't think it's 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 level three because it can't change lanes for you. Oh. But what it can do is handle all the steering and adaptive cruise control stuff. As long as you're looking at the road, if you look away for like more than 10 seconds, it flashes. There's a big green light on the steering wheel, which I really like because so many of these uh, adaptive cruise controls and auto- semi-autonomous systems, it's really hard to tell what they're doing. You're like, actually really right on that. You're really right on that. Um, like uh, Volvo is, is is one of the worst, in my opinion, where um, the tiny icons they use to tell you whether their um, steering uh, self-steering system is working, it flashes between green and orange and, and different colors in like the bottom corner of the gauge cluster, and you don't necessarily know what's happening. And uh, for Cadillac to put this huge green band to let you know that when the system's engaged, and then it flashes that at you if you look away, and then it'll flash red to let you know that you need to take control, and then it will actually slow the car down and stop it in its lane if you don't do anything. Um, I think that's a right a step in the right direction. Okay, the you've done too, you've, you've mentioned some things that are actually that should be benchmarks in in not just the segment in the rest of the industry. That is clever. You're right. The icons that people use for cruise control and what the vehicles are doing are not clear enough. And I don't know. I've I've try, thought I've turned on cruise control or adaptive cruise control and just turned on regular cruise control or something yeah. stupid like that in the past. Um, or I've not known that the car was in whatever function it was. I have seen a car come to a stop and expected it to continue again when it didn't. Um, yeah, and you, it's it's there's no standardization, <clears throat> and we're professionals, and I say that to 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 say that that's very kind we, of you. Thanks, man. Well, we drive everything, and we drive all these different cars. We're supposed to know how it all works because we're always reading about it and talking to people who are engineering and building these cars. And the fact that it's confusing to us means that, and I'm not going to stereotype here, but a lot of these high-end, old, larger luxury cars are purchased by older people mm-hmm. who are maybe not as tech savvy as younger people. And they're being put in a situation where they just – they're expected to know. Mm-hmm. And they're expected to figure it out. And while they're doing that, their lives are in their own hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's not a great look for the industry. So Cadillac doing this, I really like it. Um, the way Super Cruise works, though, is you can't just use it all the time. So there's, there's adaptive cruise control and there's a Super Cruise control button. They're side by side. Mm-hmm. Adaptive cruise control will only operate on a divided highway – I believe I don't know if it has to have been mapped by Cadillac. Cadillac claims to have mapped 130,000 miles of highways in the United States, um, but it has to be a divided highway where you can clearly see the lines. And um, if it's not, and you try to activate it, it says Super Cruise not available. Super okay. Cruise not available. Okay. I didn't like that part because it doesn't tell you why. I thought I had a dirty sensor. So I you like went out and you started like cleaning it and, and no, but I would oh. have. But yeah. what, it, what I didn't understand why it wasn't working. Like I was in construction zones in Montreal. I, there were times where I did have both lines on each side of the road that were visible, and it still wouldn't activate. It's because the car will only do it in on highways that it is programmed to do it on, that it considers safe enough to do it on. So that's a little frustrating. But at the same time, it saves you from a situation where maybe. You're driving along, Super Cruise is active, and then all of a sudden it's not. <laughs> that's because that's of, actually kind of weird. I don't like that. That sounds really that sounds limiting, right? Well, it is limiting, but it's limiting in the right way. Okay. I think. I mean, I don't know what what what's, what what do you not like about it the most? Like what what really gets? What it gets just sucks that there's parts when it's like times when it's not available and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, that's I, just am I how, supposed to find another route their Super Cruise would work? Would work? There are every uh, every cruise control system does that. I mean, if if you're in a snowy <laughs> road, it's not going to work because it can't see the lines. This, this is the same thing. Okay. Uh, it's just a variation on that. I mean, that's why I say it's not SAE level whatever because not only is there that factor, but there's also the fact that I mean, I've driven, I've been in an autonomous car where if you, it will change lanes for you if you turn on the blinker, mm-hmm. and this car doesn't do that. So that's kind of weird too because. 
it is steering itself, but if you take the wheel to turn, it will resist at first and then lets you turn and the light on the steering wheel turns from green to blue to let you know that it's active, but you're in control. Okay. And then once you let go, there's a couple seconds and then it turns from blue to green. So it's, again, I guess it's really most useful on extremely long trips where you're not going to be passing a lot of cars. <laughs> okay, so actually I found a map of this, of the, the, the highways that are going to use that work with super cruise this doesn't work on all of in any of canada man it works it does it works it does. I've, well, seen, I mean, I've seen the same map. sorry on half of canada wait you need you i wouldn't think, be able to drive across across the prairies in it are, are you sure about that mm. because the map i saw it didn't you have to remember canada's divided highways pretty much stop at a certain where a certain like latitude I, oh yeah we don't have roads up there. That's why there's no. I was thinking of the Trans Canada One. Yeah, the Trans Canada One is not that far north. It's like almost on the border. Oh, uh, I'm gonna send you this one. You see what you you see what uh, you 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 continue and, and we'll keep going with this. Maybe we'll, we'll discuss it. Yeah, this is this is the map I was looking at earlier today because I was curious. I wanted to know exactly where and how it would work and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I I found this tutorial that you just sent me. But uh, yeah, I, I do see what you're saying on on this map. It seems like they they've cut out. But you maybe you, above. This is can this is the Cadillac American site. Maybe the U.S. one, the Canadian one is different. What what I find funny about this site. So I'm looking at this map now. You can't see it because that's the beauty of podcasting. <laughs> but if you look like there's it has green lines to tell you where you can use it. And there's a green line between Edmonton and Calgary. And there's a green line between Calgary and something. But there's yeah. also a tiny green smudge of at Saskatoon. Yeah, just like a at, dot. A tiny green smudge at Regina. And no smudge at Winnipeg. <laughs> so I don't know if I don't know why Winnipeg got left out completely, but uh, in, if you're in Saskatoon, you can tool around. Just and, in uh, that little area there. Yeah, I'm sure this map is not accurate. I'm sure I'm it's sure. out of date. I'm sure they're probably updating it all the time. Okay, so Super Cruise seems like a buying feature alone, like a really important buying feature of the car that that should sell it. I mean, if somebody was in the market for a, a, a large luxury sedan. I'm not sure it's a selling feature. I'm not sure anyone... I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I don't think anyone walks into a car dealership and makes a buying decision based on semi-autonomous driving technologies. Okay. So then, I think those are all add-ons to impress the people versus other car companies. Oh, this is a nice feature that... It's like you buy a 600-horsepower car, and you never you never push it. You never put your foot to the floor. It's the same kind of deal. It's It's bragging rights. Okay, but continuing on your on at least what you said about the powertrain, at least this car does have quite a bit of. It's uh, super quick. Mm -hmm. It's really quick. Uh, in touring mode, I find the transmission is a little wonky sometimes. It's it's a little more abrupt than I would like, but in sport mode, it's it feels fast. Uh, the car feels fairly nimble for its size. It would be an excellent long long road trip vehicle. It's it's every bit the match of something like the Seven Series. I don't. You know, I don't think there's anywhere inside the CT6 where you're kind of feeling like like you're falling behind. I, maybe the one place would be in the rear seats. And I noticed this the first time I drove this car was two years ago or maybe a year ago at the launch. And we were in California and it has these plastic pieces on the back of the front seats that hold screens that pop up and down. Like okay. infotainment screens or DVD screens. That plastic does not feel great. But in the front seat, you don't notice that. In the front seat, everything feels pretty nice. Um, there is one last thing. So all this to say, CT6 is a very impressive vehicle. Mm -hmm. I wish more people were buying it. Although, as we can see, it's doing, it's holding its own amongst the other full-size uh, luxury cars in its class. But this is not an also-ran. This is not a gussied-up um, platform shared vehicle that they pulled from the Chevy lineup. This is a, a very valid contender for your dollars uh, at this price point. One last thing I want to talk about, though, and this touches on both CT6 and Escalade, and I know you're, you're going to have something to say about this, Sammy. Okay. Both of those cars have the rear view mirror that has a camera. Right. So in this car, what you can do is you either have the standard rear view mirror that lets you see out the back window like every other car that's ever been built in the last 50 years, or you flip a button underneath and it changes to a wide-angle camera shot of what's behind you right sammy how do you feel about this system we've used it in the past and i i felt that it gave a really uh a re really bad proportions and uh, a really poor judgment of distance um on that screen i think it's a really neat idea especially the wide angle portion of it but you cannot tell where, where the, your car ends 
um, and how much space you really have. We have we have parked it when you thought you were in a right spot. I mean, not like a like a parking spot because at least you have lines to guide you around. But we have parked it behind like a fence or something. And I was like, okay, let's see how you think you're close to the fence here, right? And you'd say yes, and so I'd be like, I'd walk out or we'd flip the switch or we use the rear view, the actual re- like rear view camera in the infotainment system, and they're all different distances. <laughs> do you remember that? Well, I I do, and um the. When I first drove it, one of the things that bothered me the most was the difference in refresh rate between reality through the windshield and the video refresh in the, on the screen. And then moving my eyes back and forth between those two images was a little disconcerting. Although I want to admit now that you do get used to it. Yeah. I've gotten used to it. Uh, but what I haven't gotten used to, there's two things, two issues that I have with the system. The first is in the Escalade, it kept flickering on me. Oh. Actually, I have three issues. First one. It flickered on me out of the corner of my eye. I don't know if this is a problem with my eyes or this car, because it didn't happen to me in the CT6, but I would be driving, looking straight ahead, and I would catch like a flash in the mirror, almost like like there was a line that had been drawn through it, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was a bright line. And then I would stare at it. I was in traffic, actually, so I was not moving very fast. So I decided to stare at the camera, sorry, stare at the screen in the mirror and be like, is it going to happen again? Is it going to ha- never happen again? But then I would look forward and it would happen again. I don't know what that was. Second point. If you have the sunroofs open, if you have like light coming in from the car, you get glare on the mirror that you only have when it's in video mode. When it's in regular mode, it's just working as a mirror. There's no glare. Flip it to regular to to video mode, and you have a line of glare across the screen. Interesting. That's annoying. That third, is. Third and third, and I think this is the most problematic issue. It's terrible at night. Okay. Have you, have you noticed that? Uh, no, but I think I have. I think I tried it once, and all you see are headlights. Yes, it's very much like that. You get a grayscale image, the headlights are the biggest features that you see, and then if you flip back to the regular mirror, you see everything. Yeah. Like, and I'm not talking about lonely country road in the middle of the night. I'm talking about downtown in a major city mm-hmm. in a low-light condition. You can't really tell what's going on behind you. And I thought it was because it was dirty. There's a way to clean it. It wasn't dirty because during the day it looks fine. That's the biggest problem, I think, uh, in terms of using it 24-7, because if I can't rely on it at night, if I can't get enough light into that sensor, it's it's not going to be helpful at all. Um, so this is these are the issues that you have with both of these cars, this this feature here, right? Yeah, well, it's a general General Motors issue. Okay. And I just happen to drive two Cadillacs back-to-back, so I may be more focused on it now than I normally would be. I wanted to ask you a little bit further on the CT6. It has a new infotainment system, doesn't it? Well, it says it does. It looks very much like Q. It still says the, the the Escalade still says Q actually when you turn it on. Okay. Um, they're both they're both this new system. Yeah, I, I I think quite I think, I think we had a is, we had a conversation. We did have a conversation about okay. this. Yes. With the CTSV, I believe. No, I I I don't think it was a CTSV. I think it was something else. But uh, okay. I or some a friend of ours, a colleague, had driven the CTSV and mm-hmm. was mentioning it. So this has that same weird branding of a of an of a different infotainment system in this infotainment system. I haven't noticed the branding on the CT6. Okay. Um, the system, how it works, feels very, very similar to how Q used to be. There are a few differences. In a good way or a bad way? I never had a huge problem with Q. I okay. understand the people that did. Uh, so far, it's okay. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time with the infotainment. I've mostly just been driving. Okay. Uh, I haven't fooled around with it yet. You've also been sending me... Um, You've also been sending me photos of your audio system, or at least songs that you listen to while you're in this in this Cadillac. So I need to ask you: Is this car? Does this car have the 34 speaker sound system, and how does it sound? <laughs> the Panaray? Is that what it's called? What a weird name. Yeah, Panaray. Why is it called Panaray? Panaray? Yeah. Well, that's what it says on the speaker that launches out of the dashboard. Um, <laughs> launches. Yeah, it, it rises. It rises out of the dashboard like a nuclear submarine, um, coming coming up from the depths. Uh, there's a ton of speakers like a everywhere. It, like yeah, a... it actually has it has speakers in the headrests as well. Oh my god. Uh, which is okay. Which I so first of all, I'm the wrong person to ask about car audio. I know. Because, I do know this. You you have been critical on car audio for a long time. Well, because in another life I I was recording uh, and releasing records, and I'm pretty into audio. Cars are a terrible place to listen to music. It's loud. It's it's not a great environment for building a soundstage. And uh, I don't really, I don't get too critical about car audio, but what I do get critical about is when I'm sold a bill of goods. And um, so many cars these days have surround sound systems, 
And what they do is the music that you listen to, whether it's satellite radio, whether it's a CD, it was recorded to be heard in stereo. Mm -hmm. There's no programming for the most part on those recordings that tells a surround sound system where to put all of the all of the elements of the recording. Yeah, you think, so, wait, hold on. You're telling me all the music I buy was not expected to be played on 34 freaking speakers, <laughs> including one that is, a, that is a periscope that comes out of something? So what happens is the car decides for you and does that with a series of EQs and it slices up the signal and it slices up the the, uh, the audio bands and it pushes it all over the car and it decides how it should sound. So you're no longer hearing what the artist intended. You're hearing what the car thinks you should hear. Okay. In the Cadillac, having the speaker directly behind your head, it's not like it is in the Miata, which had a speaker behind your head or in the headrest. And I think it does now again um, because the top's down and it's loud and you want to be able to hear it. In, in the Cadillac, it's weird. Every time I turned my head, I would get that, like, flanging effect uh. where, like, I'm hearing the audio move with my head. Oh, my that God. That was really Every time you would check your blind spot, you yes, would get, like, every more time. weird audio, like, every time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I turned it off. I always turn off surround sound in the car. So right now I'm hearing 34 channels where it's 17 <laughs> are left channel and 17 are right channel. Uh, that's how you should listen to music. <laughs> that's sure. How, that's how it was recorded to be heard. Mm -hmm. it, do whatever you want, but um, it sounds okay. It doesn't blow me away. Uh, I have never been blown away by a car's audio system. So anyway, there's th th that's how I feel about it. All right. Um, is I think that's it. That's there's no more. Uh, you got no more cars this week. No, I, I ran out of cars. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Me too, man. Uh, two very interesting pairs of, of cars. It's a lot of cars, actually, on a podcast. We just don't talk about So many cars. Uh, what do you got next week? You're, you're a busy guy next week, aren't you? Oh, next week is, is, is a, it's a bit of a march. Um, I'm headed to Colorado mm -hmm. to drive the Kia Sorento, the next-generation Kia Sorento, where I believe that... I think it's actually might just be a refresh, but it's the 2019 model. Mm -hmm. And I'm also driving the Kia Stinger GT on an ice track. Wicked. I can't wait to hear about that. And and then there's more. I Whoa. fly from Colorado to Arizona. And in Arizona, I'm going to be driving the actual next generation 2019 Ram 1500. Okay. I'm very excited about that. I believe you're driving that the week after, Sammy. Yeah, I'm driving that, I think, a week after you. Um, so we'll be able to share our impressions on that. I think that'll be... Mm -hmm. I think uh, by the time we get behind the microphone again, we'll have both driven it, and I think that's that's going to be great. That's going to be cool. Um, and also, after that, I get in a plane and I fly to Amelia Island in Florida. Oh, no way. I will be attending the Concorde d'Elegance, but I'll also be driving the Jaguar XF Sport Brake, which is a fancy name for wagon. That is, and I'm excited. Awesome! I can't <laughs> wait to hear about that next week. So we'll have a lot to talk about on the next podcast. Next week, I've got a. I'll be. I mean, in the next few weeks, I'll be talking about that Ram as well with you. Um, I'll also have my hands on a Jeep Compass. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I haven't driven the the new small Jeep yet. Uh, something that slots between the Cherokee and the Renegade. Uh, so that'll be fun. And I think I do have some luxury SUVs to drive, either a Stelvio, a Mercedes GLC, um, a Volvo XU60, or a BMW X3, something like that. We have a bunch of cars to, to test against one another. And um, if you want to ask us questions about any of these cars that we're driving, that Sammy's driving, that I'm driving, you can do that on Twitter or you can do that on email through the, the unnamed automotivepodcast.com website. There's a contact form. Mm -hmm. But uh, on Twitter, you can reach Sammy at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, and you can reach me at, at Hunting Benjamin. And if you want to catch up on all of our latest episodes, you can do that on the unnamed automotive web, uh, on unnamed automotive podcast website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com or you can go to our Facebook page as well where we share all of our latest happenings all of our cars all of our um, our posts of which when each episode goes live um, and we'd recommend that you subscribe to our podcast and maybe even leave us some feedback especially on iTunes that helps it means that more people will see our podcast and we can start talking about what more people want to hear about right that's right every comment helps so uh, if you have the chance just take the time leave us a comment and we'll be eternally grateful Thank you for listening, guys, and we'll catch up with you next week. Bye.